0: Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's just dive into the intro here because I don't know how long I can take having all these questions in my head. (laughs) Welcome from fucking Jersey. I am Jen Ponton. I'm Lillian Bussell. And on this podcast, we talk to you about all of the wonderful, strange, infamous, bizarre things that we have lived in New Jersey. I am a lifer, Lillian has been here a dang long time. I'm a a transplant
1: with many roots.
0: Yes, and we could not be more thrilled to tell you who our guest is. Also a lifer, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Also a lifer, and part of one of the most famous and infamous families in our great state. We have Andy Mulvihill with us.
2: Hey guys, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We could not be more thrilled. In fact, we started fucking Jersey because we have another podcast called All the Fucks that's more storytelling. And uh, we just kept wanting to talk about Action Park. And it became so pervasive that we were like, well, we should probably start a parallel uh, cause for this. And so fucking Jersey was born. Uh, It's not exclusively Action Park, but it is definitely the beating heart. As I feel Action Park really is for just the spirit of New Jersey in general.
1: Sure. And it was interesting because uh, we were like, this would be amazing. And then the second we started Googling, we started this just before your book came out. Um, so would you like to tell the people a little bit about your book?
2: Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's just um, a retelling of uh, what it was like for a young guy like me uh, to come of age at an incredible place that my father started called Action Park. You know, the um, best way to describe Action Park is really what, it, what the, the catchphrase was, there's nothing in the world like Action Park, because <laughs> there's a place where you could, in one day, you could uh, drive a race car, a speedboat shoot up a a gun in a tank. You could go uh, bungee jump, ride a bobsled in a cart, learn to fly, take a water slide with a jump, go down a Colorado river, jump off a cliff. I mean, all of this in one day at one place. That was Action Park. It was not a traditional amusement park. It was a participation park where you controlled the action and people just found it to be amazingly fun and they came back in droves and here we are many, many years later still talking about it. So, Yeah. Well, to write a book and capture the whole story because it's really an incredible story.
0: It is. Um, And so you wrote this with Jake Rawson. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership and about that collaboration?
2: Yeah. You know, when I finally got off my butt and decided to make this thing happen, I did a little research and I decided (laughs) that if I really wanted to tell the story well, I needed a professional writer. So I went out, and I said, well, where am I going to find one? Um, and I said, well, why don't I look at guys that have written about the park that I kind of like their writings. Came across Jake, um, said, hey, are you interested? He was really the first guy I talked to. And um, he said he was. He sent me some samples. He's written for some you know major uh, publications, and he had written a book. And I said, come on, let's do it. I mean, I kind of dove in because it was one of those things I've been – Thinking about doing, thinking about, I'm not a writer. I'm not a storyteller. I'm a developer, you know? But I, this is something that's been in the back of my mind. You know, people that go to Action Park that went there, they all have a story. Me and my family and friends, we have hundreds of them. So how could I not put it down on paper? And uh, so that's what we did. We put a book pitch together, and we went out, and we shopped it. And lo and behold, um, Sam Moraine from Penguin, Said, hey, I want to do it, and that we jumped in, and Penguin became our public, our, our uh, publication company, and they've been great, wonderful.
0: That's so terrific. And as a lifelong fan, as Jake was, I can only imagine what his reaction must have been when you reached out and said, hey, you're clearly, you've got some stories and some interest. How would you like to hear literally every bit of information that I can give you (laughs) about The Greatest Place on Earth?
2: He he is a phenomenal writer. And what he did with the story, I I can't tell you how happy I am. But he's Probably n- not the guy that I would have picked if I really knew him because he doesn't drink. You know, he's very sheltered growing up. He lives in a small town. I mean, I had to teach him. I'm like, no, Jake, in New Jersey, you can't buy beer at a Seven Eleven. You got to go into the liquor store or you go into the back door of a bar and you ask the guy in the corner. You know, He didn't get this Jersey stuff, so... But he figured it out after a while.
0: Which is so great because... In comparison with your dad, and I haven't even finished the book because I knew once it was done, it would be done. And I was like, well, I need to, I need to work on this. So I'm like two thirds through. I'm just enjoying every moment of it. And um, compared with your dad, like, I don't know how many of the kids were, but you certainly are just kind of holding on, even as a very young man, to whatever voice of reason you can be. And so for you to have that, but to still be an edgy Jersey type, it really shows the dichotomy with how far along the, the, how far along the spectrum your dad was with just like gung-ho, participatory, exuberant joy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, when, when you're a, a young guy, I mean, we were all very passionate about it. I mean, it meant a lot to us to just, we were raised to, if you're gonna do something, To try to do a great job with it so we were like very engaged and really cared i mean it was our dad's place and so you know and we were allowed to express our opinions but he was a marine and he was he was not some dummy and he was a sharp guy and he was usually 10 steps ahead of us all so sure we would throw things at him and you know if he if he wasn't thinking about the next six moves or the next business he was going to be in he would respond and usually, usually, like every time, he was right. So um, it was not easy. It wasn't easy. Right.
1: I right. love the stories about your dad's ingenuity and all of the different. Like he was such an ideas man, um, and my dad was very much the same way, without quite as much follow through. Uh, but I just, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like if our pops had put their heads together, they would have come up with some amazing stuff. Um, but but knowing what that's like, uh, and knowing, I mean. The marine stuff aside, was there ever a feeling in the family like like you had to keep up with your dad? Was there was there like a, a scrambling to keep up, or was it just sort of like he's he's on his his road, he's on his path, and we're just gonna come along for the ride?
2: Well, you know, we we're all he, he raised us all to be real individuals, and so we all had a lot going on. I mean, my life was a lot more than the action park. I mean, sports, school, you know, friends. Um, so so we all were, had a lot going on, but you know he did bring us along for the ride. I never felt like I, it was like rough to keep up. It was like it was like fun to be with him and to be doing. Hey, I got a new ride! Come on, you're gonna get your hockey equipment. You're gonna go test it out. I mean, are you kidding me? That was the great. What kid wouldn't want that? Right. <laughs> I love I love the
1: stories about the hockey equipment to test out the rides. That is the best.
0: <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Now, uh, um, in your family, how many kids was it, including you?
2: There's six of us. Six of you. Yeah, and, and, and if you read the book, when I get up on that the cannonball loop ride, which I was the first <laughs> guy down, it looked dangerous. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, six is a lot of kids. Maybe you just wanted to have five, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> oh, that passage is epic. Um, <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if you're the red shirt in the family, then it's your time to go. You, you yeah, had a good run. <laughs> um, I also enjoyed the the passage I, I found on uh, the article on Slate that highlighted the the big bubble ride, the bubble that just oh, rolled down the ball. hill. The yeah, floor. giant plastic sphere, 10 feet in oh. diameter. The kind of thing <gasps> you stuck a hamster in, except for a human. And that is honestly my dream. Like... I love the idea of just being in something like that um and then rolling down a hill. But uh where so when things like that came up, I'm curious as to like where the ball came from, for example.
2: Well, the uh inventor, Mr. Bailey, uh he's the one he I think he brought it. I can't remember precisely where it came from, but he invented the ride and he had an idea and he she I think he he had never built one before. And he probably just had a couple sketches. And um, I think he showed up with the ball and that was it. And then he had to build the track. Um, And my father says, yeah, here, build it over there. And there weren't really a lot of plans. And it was kind of like, he started building this track up the mountain, back and forth up the mountain. Because if he went straight, it would go way too fast. Sure. Because it's a ski mountain. And so he started to build the thing. And uh, he would test it. And if he didn't get it quite right, he'd take it apart and redo it. a little further up the mountain, further up the mountain, and he put sandbags in it and went, went down. It worked great. He put a guy in it a little bit. And part of it went great. And we we're ready to open. And should I tell you the whole story? Yes, please. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so the, the ride looks like it's ready to go. You know, you're going to be in. So, what it was actually though, it was a ball, big, giant ball, like probably four feet in diameter. And inside it was another ball, and inside that ball was a jet, So you'd open up two doors to get into the inner ball, sit in the chair, and then you'd close the doors and there were ball bearings between the two balls. So the ball could go down the track and the thing would spin on the inside. The idea being that you would stay upright. Oh, yeah. I don't remember whether it actually was like that. But anyway, we're going to open it and we get the state inspector. They have to inspect it before it opens. You know, we got this guy, Frank, up at the top, ready to get in. The state inspector shows up, but he's like, three hours late. And it turns out it's the first really hot day of the summer. Mm -hmm. And so Frank gets in the ball and we push the ball and it starts to go down the track and it's going around. But what happens is it's so hot. The track was made out of PVC and it expanded and just fell apart. So the ball rather than going back and forth goes straight down the mountain. Frank hits the inspector. Like, it's flying down the mountain, through the parking lot, across the highway, down into a swamp. It was like an unmitigated disaster. Thank God the guy inside didn't get hurt, and uh, that was the end of the Bailey ball.
0: And it stayed, the the wreck of it stayed there next to
2: Motor World for how many years? Word has it it was lodged in the swamp. No one could get it out. Amazing.
1: That makes me think of Space Camp only with a... Right? A, well, I mean, or kind like, of a um,
0: <laughs> I, Immediately upon reading it, what I thought of was in, uh, in the Jurassic World movie, oh. they have these gyroscopic hamster balls. And I was like, oh, no. Action Park absolutely feels like Jurassic Park in so many ways. If your father had gotten access to to like dinosaur DNA, oh, I'd be there every day. I'd have a season pass. Amazing. kidding me?
2: There's there's a great other gyroscope story with my father. Um, My father, when he got, I don't know, in the middle of his life in his 50 or 55, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a belly button can push out and you had like an extorted belly button, you got like a bump on your stomach. And it was really kind of odd looking and not like the most attractive thing, but he didn't care, he didn't, he could have had surgery, he didn't care. Anyway, he has this little condition and then he goes down to the amusement park convention every year in Orlando and he would go for years and he'd scan out looking for rides. And one day he's with a friend and his aim is Phillips, who was on the board and they're checking things out. And these guys have these gyroscopes where you get inside the thing and you spin all around in it, like, all different ways. And so my father's in there. He's, like, 65 at the time, spinning all around. And all of a sudden, he screams, <laughs> absolutely screams. And the guys are horrified. They stop the ride. And he gets out. He goes, oh, my God, look what you did to my belly button. He pulls his shirt up. And <laughs> the, sticking out. the guy that owns the ride is having a heart attack. Oh, everybody's no. looking on. That's <laughs> the kind of prankster my father was. <laughs> oh, that's fucking yeah. I don't know oh yes yeah. the there's so many stories that we actually had to cut 150 pages out of the book it was too long so we didn't get i would all. like that director's cut
1: yes please oh my gosh get that patreon
0: going man. um one of the things that i love most about um all of the stories that you have packed in here, is seeing the evolution of it, right? Because especially for so many of us who remember it fondly, we were too young to see it in the early days. We weren't going to Great Gorge skiing. We kind of just like, by the time we could go to water parks, it was sort of already this magical, infamous, wild place. But um, seeing how your your dad had, uh, had purchased Vernon Valley and sort of like, put his jean sheen on that right with the with the uh with the call-in radio weather advisories and the and the big lights making it so that you can ski at any time of night um moving on to the fun farm i really loved seeing that evolution of just how much your father i think truly fell in love with the mountain in yeah, a, in a I mean, he,
2: way he was an outdoorsman his whole life um you know he loved camping fishing um and you know hiking in the mountains of colorado he got a place out there since we were little kids and he loved skiing and um he just you know he loved the outdoors he had been a wall street guy but i think his passion was to be out and 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 building things and uh yeah he loved that mountain and he to him it was kind of like a puzzle you know how do you monetize this thing how do you figure out how to create a place that's it's really beautiful it's only an hour hour and a half from manhattan and it's a beautiful spot and like, why not share it with people and like create something that they want to come and see and check out? So he started with the, Valley, the Vernon Valley Fun Farm and then it morphed into the Action Park. And then we did the whole Crystal Springs thing with the Minerals Hotel and the golf and Grand Cascades. And oh, stuff. we Wine are Solace avid
0: Park. fans of Grand Cascades. Yes, yes. The biosphere is the only prescription I will ever need for anything.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, you know, my father passed in 2012. But if you want to see a spirit alive and well you go to that biosphere and that wine cellar in grand cascades lodge and you can kind of see uh, an adult action park per se for the comedy
0: absolutely a hundred percent i remember I, I remember i hadn't connected the dots i knew that your family was behind action park and i had been going to, to crystal springs for years with my mom and then lillian and i would go for weekends and you know, it's just, it's the easiest way to spend a couple of days without getting on a plane. Oh yeah. And I feel you like you're in a to-
1: totally other place. Like right. it's really trans—transportative, transformative. transformative. Hmm. Yes. It makes, all of those It takes things. me away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so I, re- and then I remember thinking, well, God, wouldn't it be great to just like own a condo here and just be able to, to come live here? And then in the brochure, I saw the family name and I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I now see the legend of, of your father's ideas and, and his dreams for, uh, for how Vernon really could be celebrated, I think, for, for its beauty and for its pastoral uh, energy.
2: Yeah, no, we, um, he loved the area. You know, uh, my sister and I, actually, the only two that kind of uh, hung in there, with them. The other guys went out off and did different things And my brother. Christopher's back working with us. Um, and I took the development side of the business. Um, and my sister took the operating side of the business. And Is we that, had like Julie? that Yeah, that's my sister, Julie. She's tough as nails. And she's the tell you, one of the best operators you'll find in the country, let alone uh, certainly Jersey. She's, she's tough and she watches every nickel and she works really hard and um, she, nothing gets by her. And, and you, if you really, being hands on like her, makes you successful. I'm happy to have her.
0: I loved, uh, I loved reading about, you know, how, as he employed all of you, right? This, this free labor force of six kids. Um, how intrepid Julie was with really taking on the marketing and the commercials and just organizing production for, <laughs> for that famous commercial that you can still find on YouTube.
2: She went off to college, she was at Lafayette, she worked there in the summers, and then her plan was to go off and do something else, and he, uh, he, lo- he needed a, a PR person, because the girl had quit, he said, come on, just help me out for the summer, so she went into PR, and she did that for maybe a year, and then the marketing manager, there was an issue with him, and he was gone, and my, my sister's like, well, who are we going to hire? She, she said, you do it, and I need you to make a commercial. And she was just overwhelmed, like overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, but you know, with my father, you don't you don't say no to him, and uh, you charge ahead. And uh, my God, once we got those commercials on air, it was like it opened up the spigot, and the people came in droves, like never before. We went from having a few thousand people to like over ten thousand, sometimes fifteen thousand people on a on a weekend day. I mean, it was crazy. That's incredible. At any
0: point, did your family end up? Cause, because you grew up in Hardiston, Am I no, we grew
2: up we grew up in Harding down by outside of Morristown, yes, okay, an hour away from the park.
0: right, did you ever, as the park grew and grew, did you end up moving closer, or was it just kind of you needed the distance to separate yourselves a bit?
2: No, I mean, our all the kids, we had a whole nother life besides the park. I mean, you know we are all pretty diligent students and uh, went to school down. down. Uh, at North Academy in Livingston, one brother at Pingree, and then off to college all over the country. So we had all that going on, and the Action Park thing, you know, for us was really summer jobs through uh, grade school, high school, and college. Um, And then once I got out of college and I decided to to make a a career up there, uh, I switched from the amusement park to the real estate side, and I did move up there, yeah.
0: That's nice. And I'm sure it's convenient for all of the development that has happened since. Yeah, so. no,
2: it was actually, it was great living there initially, but then once you start building hundreds of homes for homeowners and, you know, sometimes you don't get it a hundred percent right. You get a linky sink. You don't necessarily want to live on the same property because <laughs> you get the front door knocked on. <laughs> but no, true. I loved, I loved living up there. I mean, oh my God, when we had, we built the sports club, and uh, I used to work hard all day, and then we'd go mountain biking on the mountain, or we'd play basketball. We had the fighters up there. We had Roy Jones Jr., who was the best fighter in the world for pound for pound, was training up there, and he'd train all day, and then he'd come over and play basketball with us. That was a lot of fun. I had fun living up there. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just love, I love the
2: mountains too, and I love, you know, being able to go and open up the war pool, uh, the, the wave pool in the middle of the night. That was fun too. <laughs> yes. I was in high school, and I could bring Young ladies over there too to try to impress them. That was fun. <laughs> I,
1: I had to tell you, I uh, I used to work at Busch Gardens in Williamsburg. It was my very first job, and I, I n- completely know the joy of being in a theme park after hours. Like it's it's it, you're like I own this whole place. Obviously, you guys did, and I didn't. You but <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it's so neat just to have all, like when every because it's so raucous. Like everything there's so much noise as part of just the business that to be there in a place like that when it's quiet and to have had access to that at any time, I'm very jealous. It sounds amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's amazing how quiet it would be there uh, either real early in the morning or late at night. And that was, it was like peaceful, which was odd. It was very awkward for the peaceful. Uh, but, uh, you know, we worked long hours there. So we weren't always in a rush to get back there
1: mm.
2: at night. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: Right. I'm sure
0: <laughs> you, you talk a bit about the um, about the parties that the, 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 the parties that you would get of all of the employees to go to the very top of the mountain and stay there overnight where the snowmaking machines were, if I recall correctly. Um, what was it like up there?
2: So I just got to get something straight here. You call this this podcast fucking Jersey, right? Absolutely. <laughs> we do. So I'm kinda of thinking that, you know, because you're using such profanity in your title that I can kinda of go all out telling these stories? Please, oh yes, please. Yeah. Of course you well, can. I can. I can't go all out, but <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you a few things that maybe hasn't haven't been sure before. But no, we yes, would please we would have uh parties at the drop of a pin. I mean, and like I said, you know, my we worked really hard. I mean, i probably worked uh like 10 hour days and often would work 14 or 20 days in a row because the summer season was short, you know, it was Memorial day to labor day. And so you had to make, Hey, well, people were coming. (laughs) And uh, so we didn't take a lot of days off, but my dad was, you know, wanted us to work hard, but he would let us party hard too. And I, I can't believe that he let us do some of the things that we did. For instance, we would take the lifeguards and it became like an annual thing where it was like an initiation for the wave pool guards. If you're a young guy you know, and you made it to the wave patrol, then you got to go on the camping trip on top of the mountain. And my dad would lend us some of the company vehicles because the mountain was tough to drive up. They were dirt roads and steep. So we would take these army trucks and Jeeps, load the kids in, load in kegs of beer and bottles okay. of, of booze and drive up there and have a big camp out uh, for the night. And uh, in the middle of the night, after we were all completely drunk, we would decide because we were lifeguards and invincible, we need to swim across the lake because the lake was right there. We camped by the lake. But don't worry, I said, we'll have the buddy system. You, you know, smoke it, you keep an eye on Danny. And Dan, you get that. And So, you know, no one ever died, uh, but some guys got pretty wounded on that, uh, on those adventures. Definitely.
0: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> Wounded.
1: Um, yes, yes. Lake swimming well, intoxicated is always always a risky endeavor, but it's such a good story afterwards, no matter. <laughs> what else? Like, when you think about things like that, um, so, uh, I don't know, maybe a story that you had in the book and then got cut. Um, is there anything that you really wish that you could talk about more, but you haven't been able to
0: in certain um, polite uh, company, politer company than us.
2: You're very tricky. You're trying to pull it out of me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's a lot of stories of, about uh, some of the young gals that I met there. And um, I have to tell you that I was uh, very fortunate that I had a really great upbringing with my mom who taught me to respect women. And I was not a philanderer. I was kind of a serial dater. Uh, so I met a few girls there over the years and um, They were terrific gals. And I think those stories between me and those girls remain, you know, in here, quiet, and I don't think I should share them. For sure. Fair
1: enough. No kissing and
2: telling. But no, my God, there were so many things that did get cut out. Like this Bobby Piercy, the whole skateboard park thing really did not make it into the book. And it was big. It was one of the first attractions we put in was the skateboard park uh, with the Alpine slide. Skateboarding was really big it like was surging in the seventies. Sure. My, my dad was buddies with a guy that was a freestyle skier in Aspen. And he was telling my dad about this guy, Bobby Piercy, who was the world's best skateboarder. And my father said, I want to do a park. He says, you should get Bobby to design it. So th- and they reached out to Bobby They made a deal and Bobby was supposed to come, but Bobby didn't show up. And like, where's Bobby? You go to his buddy, Phil. And, and he's, not, he's, he's coming, he's coming. Bobby didn't show up and he didn't show up and he didn't, My father calls up this guy, Phil in LA, on the phone, and he says, You gotta get Bobby Bob Piercey on a plane today. Today! And lo and behold, I come home from school that day, and a limo pulls up, and there's a guy in a one-piece white suit. I swear to God, it was like a a race suit that he and and he had a skateboard and a backpack, and that was it. And he was there (laughs) for the summer. Well, apparently Phil had grabbed him from a party after a race, couple with me, kid, literally kidnapped him, got him on the plane, and came up, and this guy was, like, skateboarding in my garage, the world's best skateboarder. I mean, oh, my God, it was pretty cool, but Bobby was, like, so out there, and, you know, we have these Sussex County kind of hickey guys that are building this park, and Bobby's like, man, put it here, man, can you feel it, and they'd be, like, Who is this guy? Uh, And so he was wild. And Bobby, he loved hanging out at the Playboy Club. Um, (laughs) He was a real ladies' man. And the biggest thing that was opening day, when we're going to have the first opening of the skateboard park, all the press is there. My father's there, the mayor's there, and no Bobby Pearson. Piercy, Bobby Piercy, no Bobby Piercy. And like, where is he? So someone tells my brother, Pete, go get Bobby. It's check to see if he's in the condo. So he lived in a condo. Pete goes up, he knocks on the door, and he hears, go away. And then he hears some commotion in the lady's voice, and he just hears, go away. So Pete goes away, and he comes back and says, no, Bobby's busy. He's busy. <laughs> so Charlie O'Brien, the head snowmaker, goes up. He kicked the door down, grabbed the guy out of bed, had him put on his white suit, and brought him down to the press conference. That happened. That's a true story.
0: William, the stories about this snowmaker just... Oh, so great. That's amazing. <laughs> Have people around who get things done. That's what you got to do. <laughs> right. Very, very much. I mean, and I, I love, I love reading about these men because there was such a loyalty from your dad. Like if he felt that you did this thing really well, even if there was no relation at all to this other thing he wanted you to do, he trusted you doing that so well that he was like, "Come on, board and do this. Come on, board and
2: make me a water park. You know how to make snow. You can do it, right?" Well, and he was, you know, you're right. He, you know, he was very good at spotting talent, and mm-hmm. um, he did instill loyalty. And, and Guys would go, they, they, they do anything for him because he was really good to them. He, you know, they could tell that he cared, and it wasn't to him. It wasn't all about making money, and not at all. It was about fun and it was about people, helping people, moving them along in their careers. But he was tough, man. There were, it was funny. There were certain people that he would yell at, like really scream at, like where you would like start shaking when you would hear him. Uh, but then the other people he'd never yell at. And you would ask, why are you yelling at that guy? He says, he needs it. He needs it. <laughs> and he got a lot out of people, that's for sure
0: what was one of the most telling stories that he would tell you and your siblings about when he was growing up something where like you could see the writing on the wall just with his personality
2: um oh i don't know um he went out one day with his buddies and they got him drunk and he was young right he was probably in his late teens early teens uh 17 18 or 16 something like that And they bring him home and they like almost carry him into his bed, put him in his bed. And my grandmother was really tough. She was strict. So they must've been pretty quiet, but they (laughs) leave the window open just a little bit. And his bed is right next to the window. They go and they grab a garden hose and they put the garden hose into the, the bedroom, into the bed. And they turn it on just a little so that when he wakes up in the morning, he's like, just full of water and my grandmother banned those other boys from the house for like six months or something so I bet your they dad were always it. up to no good those guys for sure they were very mischievous growing up had
0: influences yeah. I feel like there's
1: something about Jersey uh I mean again I've been here for about 15 years um, and the folks that I know who are my age folks who are a little older folks who are a little younger I feel like there's a sense of adventure Here to just people who like there's something in well, hopefully not in the water, but um Maybe. <laughs> just Something about it that I think makes people people are um, um up for up for an adventure up for um Trying new things and I think mischief comes along with that naturally um because I know like Jen and I have talked a lot about I don't know trespassing things like that,
0: <laughs> especially when you're from a bucolic area like Vernon or um or uh say it again not uh not hardston but uh harding. Harding. harding harding township right there's there's nothing to do there's there was even less to do then than there is now, but there's still nothing to do oh. except go find old buildings that are unoccupied. Yeah. <laughs> Well here's a funny question.
1: Um, did you ever go to the the gingerbread castle?:
2: uh, We owned it for quite a while I actually oh. just sold it about uh, two years ago
1: I didn't realize that as part of the puzzle That's amazing. Did you say you sold it
0: two years ago?
2: Yeah, so here's the story. My father sells a building in Vernon, and there's tax code allows you to not pay income tax on that profit if you buy another building within a certain amount of time so he says to me hey Andy let's I'm going to buy the old uh gingerbread castle complex what do you think uh I'm like well what do you want to do with it I mean it's a broken down warehouse an old kind of castle thing that's fallen apart a beautiful stone building and a warehouse that's in decent shape what do you want to do he said let's put apartments there so I run the numbers, and I'm like, "This doesn't make any sense financially." Here's why, and he said, "Okay." And then the next day, he bought it. So,
0: <laughs> and went that up was
2: probably <laughs> like uh, 15 years ago. The heart what it um, was. <laughs> he passed in 2012, and nothing had come of it. It was actually contaminated site, so it took like 10 years to get it un- to clean it up, which we Ugh. did. And we ended up selling one of the warehouses. And um, there's a guy, this is kind of a neat story. The guy that um, started, that had Felix the Cat and Casper the Friendly Ghost, the guy that invented those, his son, who inherited the rights to those, his son's son, so the grandson of Casper the Friendly Ghost, found the place, said, wow, it's so cool. I really want to own it. And I said, we're not doing anything with it. And we made a nice deal for him. He bought it. Now he's trying to fix it up. And oh. bring it back to its old glory. So oh, still cruel. that
0: guy. That's good. You know, yeah. every once in a while they'll they'll put an update in in one of the papers that says it's in new hands and somebody's really rare to go with their with their hopes no, and this, dreams of. This guy
2: life. is this guy's there a lot himself, doing Ooh. a ton of work himself. He's not all talk. He's doing it. it's not fast because he doesn't have a big crew or a lot of money, but it's happening. That's exciting. <laughs>
0: What was it contaminated with?
2: Just all manner? So let's go back. The um, original building was a cannibal factory. And, um, it, and also it was a mill because it's right oh next God. to the walkhill River. And, and there's actually, you can see the water goes into the building, the old stone building. Uh, there's like a causeway. Um, and then it became a Wheatsworth cracker factory. That's when the guy that, uh, the Wheatsworth cracker guy built this Gingerbread Castle. And then after the factory sh- shut down, it became a, uh, a wire factory. They made wi- made wire, like electrical wire. And I think when they were doing that process, they contaminated some of the mm-hmm. ground, so we had to clean it. Oh. oh,
0: gosh. Well, if I would trust it in anyone's hands, it would be your family's, honestly. Oh, the Action
2: Park guys? You trust them? What, are you crazy?
0: It's the spirit of New Jersey. I find no fault in it whatsoever. <laughs> Truly. Um, I I would love to know so I both Lillian and myself were were tremendously excited when ownership ownership moved back to your family around twenty ten, correct?
2: That sounds like of
0: of the park. And then that one wonderful summer in twenty fourteen you did the whole new rebrand, it's Action Park again. There was all the merch and I didn't buy enough because I didn't know that it was gonna be so transient. Can you talk a little bit about deciding to lean into it and then whatever reasons just felt more appropriate for it to be Mountain Creek again?
2: Well, um, there was, when we bought the, the uh, place back, um, and we almost had to buy it because we bought it so cheap, Bought the whole thing for uh, $7 million. Subject to a lot of some, some debt and like all sorts of problems that Intrawest had uh, that, that were not easy problems to, to, to work out. But we put, my father put together a couple of guys uh, that he had done business with before and other deals and um, bought it back. There was the old lodge had burnt down. There was a temporary tent put up which had temporary tents, to be the year it was there like 10 years. So we had to get rid of that because um, it was terrible. And we built a ski lodge, which turned out to be a beautiful building. And the water park was operated by a third party it was a lease to uh, palace entertainment. Um, and so there was a lease in place and it was not the easiest thing to get out of. So it took a little bit of time, but you know, there's no way that my father was going to own that place and have a third party, you know, running it. Um, so, ultimately, we got Palace out of the lease, and we took it over, and then we, we, we had to figure out how to make the thing go. Now, it used to do 15,000 people a day, 20,000 people a day. It was doing 2,000 people a day, 3,000. It was really, when InterWest had come in and bought the place, they took out, a, like, all the, all the motor world went, most all the Alpine Slide pretty much went, and they got rid of a bunch of the water rides. So, it was a lot smaller, and a lot of the fun rides were gone, though there were still some pretty cool things left. And so we have, and it's like, what are we going to do to make this thing, you know, bring it back to its glory? We can't run a place like this. So we started searching around for rides and try to figure out how we could generate some excitement. of course, the idea of bringing Action Park's name came. We did some research and there was like, it varied. Like the really young people hadn't heard about it. And some of the older people, you had mixed. You had some people that said, oh, it was the best. And then there's some people that said, oh, it was pretty dangerous. And so it was kind of a risk to to bring it back to name. But we decided to do it. And lo and behold, we had got so much press from that. It was unbelievable. I mean, we were all over the TV. In fact, there was one scene, you can still find it today, where there was a pretty young reporter from, I don't know, Eyewitness News or something that comes up. And goes off the Tarzan swing in her bikini. And it wasn't just (laughs) the fact that there was a pretty girl in her bikini at Action Park. Uh, it was the fact that the guy back in the newsroom was like started like sexually harassing her. Yeah. Oh, you know, you gotta stay there in your bikini. We love you in your bikini. And and the woman next to him's like, What are you doing? You can't say that.
1: Yeah. And I'm just
2: standing there saying, Wow. And the thing went viral for the guy being a turkey. Oh, no. you know
1: that was Greg Kelly on Good Day New York. I've totally seen. There you seen
2: go. That. Yeah, so I don't mean to disparage the wrong guy. but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to judge the dude. He was having. He was trying to have fun. Um, I don't know. Maybe a little uh, bit aggressive. Um, it looked. No, it looked like got, the reporter
1: took it on the chin. So.
2: Yeah, we got a lot of press from that, and. um But what we realized is there's so much more competition. There were more water parks. I mean, Splash Splash Long Island didn't exist when the action park was around originally. You know, Dorney Park did not have a water park initially. They do now. Great Adventure didn't. And then you have all the minor league baseball. There's just a lot more competition for the dollar. Um, And the regulations. I mean, the regulations have gotten to be crazy. So you just couldn't do things that you could do before. So we, we did it. We raised the attendance. We put in some rides that were a little bit more fun, but not too, too crazy. Uh, I did find that, I found that Cannonball Loop, somebody had perfected it, uh, but I didn't end up buying it. That's a whole story in and of itself. But we kind of decided after running it, my dad had passed. Our partners had been partners with my father. They didn't pick us kids to be partners with. So we kind of thought, you know what? We're better off focusing on Crystal Springs. So we sold out to one of our partners. And when we sold out to our partner, he brought the name back mountain creek he dropped the action park thing
0: a shame truly a missed opportunity in my you know what
2: i'm i'm not i'm not so disappointed because frankly action park had seen its day and if it really had a chance of making a comeback i think it would have had to be under my father's eye or, or or maybe under my eye but uh i couldn't pull it off i didn't have the genius that he did and it was different times but Hey, you know, we had a little fun, a little nostalgia for a little bit there.
0: Yeah. When you when you did reclaim ownership of it and your father was still around for a couple of years, how was he how was he newly able to infuse some of his some of his mad genius into the currently appropriate Mountain Creek?
2: Oh, so, I mean <laughs> He, he was like, if you flip the switch, he was back at it. I mean, he was buying rides all over the place. He bought this, the Alpine Slide had been taken down, and he found a replacement for it called the Mountain Coaster, which is a great ride where you can, it's actually the Alpine Slide on rails, but you can't come off it. So it was like an improved version. Didn't have the wrist, but right. he bought that, and uh, we bought a couple other rides. But the thing that's really funny is, uh, I actually listened to your guys' podcast. And you were talking about um, how there's some rides are still there, including the Colorado river ride at Roaring Springs. And, but what you don't know, and the wave pool's still there, but what you don't know is that when InterWest bought it, they like shut down half the pumps. So the water volume decreased dramatically, the wave pool, they filled up the bottom of it. So it wasn't so deep and they shut down some of the fans. So it was like, action park on you know one quarter action park it wasn't <laughs> all three. so when gene gets the place back he's like turn all those pumps on we're gonna go full bore yes <laughs> and so we turn them on and it's like people start bumping their heads again and like, <laughs> i'm like ah. but you know what i came up with a compromise because i was an older guy now and i i actually had a voice so you know what we did is we put people in helmets because the number one injury was people hitting their heads amongst each other in, in the side of the raft. Once we gave them helmets, problem solved.
0: That's amazing. Oh, now, yes. I can
2: guarantee you though that the pumps have been turned back again. We're <laughs> no longer involved, so it's not the ride that it was, that's for sure.
0: Oh, I'm so glad that I caught it then during those years because I hadn't been to Mountain Creek until your family took it over again. I think maybe the first summer I went was summer of 11. And I I got roughed up. Yeah. I got I got <laughs> roughed up. Yes, and I'm so gl- I'm so glad that I did. Of course, um, a l- a little less fun at thirty than it was at you know at like twelve. You're a little less buoyant, but whatever. <laughs>
1: but that's why uh, when we were I was posting about this in various um, Jersey City. Uh, Facebook groups, just trying to see who uh, so many people have so many memories and even oh. people who are like, Oh yeah, whenever I, I walked away with my knee got messed up, whatever. Um, everybody's like, it's totally worth it. Everything. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, we went back all the time. Like there was, there was no, there was no sense that anyone had regrets <laughs> right. in any way.
0: Right or held and that whole participation
1: thing—that was the—that was the appeal. That was the magic.
2: Yeah, there's there's definitely that theme you hear constantly. You know, um, when people write about and interview people about it, they they all say it was a a, it's just a simply wonderful place. Um, The thing that I like, I really enjoy though, is that I'll run into people uh, that work there um, growing up, and they all say the same thing. They all say. It was the best job I ever had. And they all had like so much fun. I, I listened to the, the gal from the radio station in Jersey City. uh yes, Therese. Uh, yeah,
0: Therese, yes. Therese.
2: And, uh, you know, listening to her on your podcast talk about um, how she loved the place and she felt loyalty to the place, it really touched me because, you know, I it's really what it, it installed. And I think the fact that Gene had all of his kids there working hard, you know, and from the bottom of the ranks up, digging ditches and working the rides and sweating in long days and really caring. I think it it really uh, had an impact on the whole ethos of the place. And and, um, I can't tell you how many just terrific friends, terrific people I met there. Uh, Oh my God. And the crazy, crazy people my father would bring in, inventors and performers (laughs) and it was just uh it was great and uh it was it was a real camaraderie and it was a, it was a wonderful time in new jersey that's for sure
0: yeah absolutely i wish i i wish i had been able to i wish it had been more of an option for me growing up but i grew up i grew up close to pennsylvania so it was always dorney park for my family it was 20 minutes
2: away an easy decision but um but yeah, well, we I mean, weren't I mean, fans of Dorney Park, in fact... Of course we got, not! We got punked by them. They had a guy that was a couple lifeguards came up and they faked around in our wave pool and we pulled them out and then we figured out that they were fakes and they were from Dorney Park. So you oh, know no. what we did? Oh. We went to Dorney Park, the Action Park guys, and we punked them with some noise and trouble and mayhem. Kindly uh, <laughs> go
0: into the details of this because I remember seeing a little bit about... Um, you I, I believe it was you because your dad put you in charge of of lifeguard safety, and I think you I think you said that you hired whomever was was training the Dorney lifeguards and and said, "Here, come, come work with us, come give us some scenarios so that we can be at the ready, and the trainer is just like throwing these milk toast scenarios at you, and you and all of your guards are like, "Um, we have thirty saves a day." That, that, what are you talking about? This whole summer, summer long quote is completely um, is completely irrelevant to what we're dealing with on a daily basis.
2: You know, it's it, it, that whole thing is a really interesting story because um, the name of the organization is Jeff Ellison Associates, and this was early, early, early in their formation. I can't imagine they were around a long time because water parks hadn't been around. And the guy, I figured, you know, what do I really know? I don't have a real deep background in training lifeguards. we got to bring somebody from the outside in. Now, this is after we've been, you know, dealing with it for a couple summers or into the summer. And we had a lot of like hands-on experience. And so I thought of bringing an outside guy and, you know, maybe they could help us. And they come in and they just, the guy looks at the operation and he's like, he can't believe what's going on. I mean, the amount of people that are like drowning and we're pulling out. And he's just, he just doesn't know where to start. And he does do a presentation to our guards and he lost—he blew it. He lost his credibility because the guard asked him, how many saves have you ever made? And the guy's like, well, I really have never made any. And, he, and they're like, you're going to teach us. I made 30 yesterday. I've made, you know, I have the record. I got 500 saves and you're going <laughs> to tell me what to do. But you know what? The truth of it is that, um, I don't know about back then, but today, that LS organization is one of the finest lifeguarding organizations in the country, and they have brought systems to the water park business that uh, lifeguarding systems that really, really make it safe, a lot safer. And I'll give you just one. It's really a simple idea, and it's brilliant. So you're me, and you're on the side of the pool, and you're looking at all your lifeguards, And they're all sunglasses on and they're sitting there. And the question is, are they like looking at the border? Are they looking at the patrons? Are they sleeping? Are they stoned? I mean, what's going on, right? Now, I had pretty good confidence that I knew the guys that worked for me. And I did not think any of that was going on. But you never knew. So what did Ellis come up with? He came up with a bob. So what happens is you've got to scan the pool by moving your head like this. Oh. And then back. And the whole time you're in the chair, you have to do that.
0: Huh? Wow!
2: Guess what? If the guy's not moving his head,
1: Uh, you know, exactly,
2: (laughs) you can tell. I mean, it's brilliant.
0: Uh, that's that's so smart. What a little thing, ingenious. Yeah. Uh, I know that Lillian and I were quite excited to ask you about. Obviously, you know, your father's ventures took up so much so much family time right like work time was family time but when it came to like birthdays and holidays and vacations and and stuff like that what was the family dynamic like and and did your father um did your father like prank your mom and you and your siblings with were there bizarre gifts what 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 did those kinds of special yeah. events look like? You guys like feel like you'd be fun at holidays? Oh, oh a thousand percent.
2: <laughs> well, uh, my father, you know, he came from it was just him and his brother, but his his father had came from a family of like seven, I think. And so we had a lot of relatives, and whenever there were holidays, everyone came over to our house. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, we were big on having parties. My grandfather was big on having parties. So we would have, you know, dozens of people over. And uh, my my mom was a phenomenal cook. She had a huge garden. And so we would eat fresh salads and vegetables out of the garden all summer long. My dad loved barbecuing. He loved cooking red meat and uh, cutting it up for us. So the meals were like a big deal sitting down to a meal. There was a lot to eat. and It was usually pretty good food. Um, But we would, you know family vacations all the time. I mean, my dad was big on Colorado. So we, he bought a condo out there and then a home. So we would tend to go out there for skiing a couple times a year. Sometimes in the summer, we didn't really do a lot together in the summer because we had the action park that right. Like, pretty much took up our summers. Occasionally we'd go out to the Jersey shore when we were a little, little, and then up maybe to Nantucket or Martha's vineyard uh, here and there, but generally it was the action park. And, uh, he did not prank my mom. My mom was kind of the straight guy in the family and uh, the serious one that kind of kept it all together. I'm a phenomenal woman, uh, but she could have a good sense of humor. I mean, there were times when, when the business, when we were all involved in the business and it seemed to be the only thing that we talked about at the dinner table. And occasionally she'd say, I right, no business talk tonight. No business talk. Let's talk something else. So then we get into politics because he trained us all well about politics, <laughs> personal responsibility and freedom and all that. Um, so that was good stuff. But no, it was um, sitting down for dinner was very important to him. Um, you know, we all went to church together on Sundays, uh, like without fail and um, baseball, football. Uh, he didn't play hockey or soccer, my sports, but basketball in the gym. He built a gymnasium at the house and we would have like bloody battles to see who could win in basketball uh, in the winter at night, for sure. So yeah, we were we were a very tight-knit family.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, are all of your siblings still pretty close together?
2: We are. We are. We still get together for all the holidays. I've got uh, my brother Jimmy is in Denver. Uh, and a couple, uh, I got a, a, a niece out there. My daughter's out in Denver. She went to college out there. And, my brother's been too nice to her, so she's comfortable out there and still. <laughs> and then I have a brother up in New Hampshire. Uh, and then Jimmy, Pete, and I all bought some land down in Mexico in the Baja and uh, with a bunch of other people. And we kind of have a little compound down there, some houses on the beach and, uh, in a town called Todos Santos. It's a pretty fun spot, great for mountain biking and surfing and whatnot. So, yeah, no, we see each other a lot. We do a lot of stuff together.
0: That's great.
2: That's great. And how did, how did your parents meet? What was that courtship like? My, uh, apparently my mom was on a date with another guy. Yes, I knew <laughs> My dad, uh, you know, bumped into her, you know, back then um, it was very common for a guy to ask a girl out on a date, you know, and take her out to dinner or take her to a show or a party and then take a different girl out the next day because it was, it was not nearly as uh, intimate Right. So back then, um, people were more, uh, I don't know, conservative. So it was like acceptable to date a bunch of different guys. There's uh, sure. nothing wrong with that. Um, so I guess, you know, he asked her out and uh, I guess he chased her hard. And it wasn't long before he, he got out of college, he married her, and then he joined the Marines and she came with him. Um, lived, on, lived on base and uh, had babies while he was still a Marine. Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah. And who's the eldest in your family? Is it Julie?
2: The eldest is uh, Gene Jr. His nickname is Splinter. My dad's nickname was Chip. So he's the Splinter off of Chip. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And he was a rough big brother when you were growing up, right? No, Splinter was fine. He was was nice. It was Pete that was the devil. My brother (laughs) Peter was a real wise guy. In fact, his friends up in New Hampshire had nicknamed him the needle because he needles people. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he's a very bright guy it has got a great sense of humor but he used to torture us as kids I mean there's a great story in the book about um, so Pete's like kind of teasing us and beating up us on us a little bit when we were kids and then all of a sudden he was the runt in the family Jimmy and I get to be bigger than him and he can't push us around he goes off to college so Pete being the smart guy that he is he comes back one night and I'm dead asleep in my bed, and all of a sudden, a six-foot-four Norwegian ski jumper from Dartmouth College picks me up and throws me across the room. <laughs> no, you will listen to your brother. Oh and then another guy shows up. He brought two of them. He didn't need just one. He That's, got two.
0: He took his heavies with him. That's not fair. <laughs> he
2: did.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, wait, did
1: you have a nickname? It sounds like a very nicknamey family.
2: I was fat lips because they were big lips. They would me about my lips. They called me fat lips. <laughs> and then also there was a song um, called uh, Andy Pandy Pudding Pie or a show or something. So they called me Pudding Pie sometimes. <laughs> <Perfect>. That's love.
0: <laughs> That's great. Um, I would love for you to i recently read the story about your year at stanford where you lived in the in the in the trailer housing and what your roommates were like in the midst of all of the craziness that was happening during the summers as your father was going through um uh you know, investigations from the state and everything. Uh, would, you, would you tell our listeners about that year with those roommates and what they did to you?
2: <laughs> well, um, I don't know that they did anything worse to me than I did to them. <laughs> um, but no, these were guys, I was in Branner Hall my freshman year. In fact, some of the people from Stanford and the alumni site picked up on my book, and some girl says, Yeah, he was the guy in Browner Hall. And then another girl says, Yeah, no, he's the guy in Brenner Hall that drove his motorcycle on the second floor, which is true. Oh my god. <laughs> but uh, so I met a oh, I met that some, guy. <laughs> I met some uh, three guys, a guy named Eric Weinz, whose father was a real heavy at Stanford, is a Goldman Sachs guy, was on the board for a while, and then a guy named Adam Tracy, a little scrappy guy from R- Posh Ryan. New York. Eric was from Connecticut. And then Fred Buckley, who was also East Coast guy, he was originally from Boston and moved to Florida, but he was the number one recruit in the country, uh, his, our, our senior in high school for football. He was supposed to take um, John Elway's spot when Elway graduated from Stanford. Um, so th- I moved into temporary housing, uh, a trailer with these guys, and um, Adam was not afraid to put the beers back 24-7. He was a wild guy. He was a really smart guy. And uh, Eric Weinz, he liked to have some fun, too. And then Fred Buckley, he, he, was, a, he was a heck of an athlete, um, but he was a bit of a conniver. If you could go around rather than straight, he'd go around. But he was a lot of fun. His dad was a real character. His, his dad was a tout. His dad actually taught people. Uh, not, he was a service where He'd give them advice on who to bet for football games. Though he never did and touched anything with Stanford when Fred was playing. But it was cool living with those guys in that housing. And, um, you know, Adam used to read uh, in the New York Times, and he'd read stuff about my father, and he'd pass it on to me. He's like, "Yeah, They used to call him Guido, because I guess I told him the fact that he grew up with a mobster son, and they got a kick out of that. And they, they figured, oh, Andy's from Jersey. Everybody from Jersey's part of the mob. So, you know, <laughs> right. I had that going right. on, too. But, no, they were fun guys, but they were slobs. They were such slobs. And I tried – Every system I could to keep that place clean. It's like you have a week, I have a week, you know, uh, we'll bring this, we'll pay for a maid, and, and nothing worked. And so I kind of like gave up. I just like, the hell with it, let the place go. And in fact, it was right before spring break, and I had some guys from my high school come out to visit. And I just finished my last paper and they, the other guys were going to be there for three or four days. I was going to leave the next day. And I get a case of beer for these guys and we're drinking and we drop one of them drops the beer on the ground and it breaks and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me get a broom and a mop." I'm like, do you see this place? Who gives a shit? So I took the beer that I had and I slammed it against the wall. We drank a whole case of beer and broke every bottle against the wall. There was glass everywhere right? So what did I do? In the morning, I got up, probably took a couple aspirin because I probably had a ha- headache, <laughs> got in my bag and I left and the glass was all over the floor. I oh so left God. like three or four days before these guys finished the last exam, go off the ski. we closed the trailer up. They didn't clean anything up and it's like a box in California. It's a metal thing in the summer in the spring sun. Mm-hmm. I come back late. They'd all come back before me. They hadn't touched the place <laughs> all over the floor. There were pizza boxes from like three weeks earlier. And the thing that was the most disgusting is my mom had sent me a fresh, had sent me a ham, a smoked ham oh, that no. arrived the day after I left. So what these guys did with the ham is they actually nailed it to the wall. <laughs> every utensil stuck it in there. So like when you I do. walk in, there's a rotting ham on oh, the my wall. You know, I'm, I'm like, you guys. So... This, I, I used some ingenuity, and what I did is I said, here's what the deal is. We can't live like this. We're going to play poker. So I, when I say we're going to play poker at half, because they all love to play poker, so we're going to play cards. Whoever loses has to clean this place up. So everyone pinky-sweared. We played. Buckley, the quarterback, lost. There was no way he was cleaning it up. He gets on the phone. He calls some service. They, they quote him $200. They show up. They say, no, $400.
0: Oh my god, what an absolute nightmare. Um, Now did the dorm uh did did the did the housing ever get even close to what it was before, or were you all just so uh so humbled, terrified by how bad it had gotten that it just
2: (laughs) No, I mean oh I you know, the place was a wreck the whole time we lived there. (laughs) clean. and in fact, we left it such a wreck that we got kicked off campus. And, uh, uh, we lost our privilege for uh, for housing, and I had to live off campus the last few years.
1: I, 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 had, I had friends in college in an off-campus house um, that had been passed down through theater people, and the last time that I went over there was just before they got evicted they their power had been turned off, and it was there was no hams on the wall, but it was God. not too far off from what you described <laughs> um and I just remember it was the year that those gel candles had come out, so they had <gasps> candles everywhere because oh, they didn 't have no. any power and when they <sighs> when the wick would run down, everybody would take a plastic spoon and scoop up the gel and just sploop it onto the ceiling, so oh. that was and and I I watched some of it run down the wall, and I was like, I'm gonna go and not come back. <laughs>
0: what happens to our brains in college? Like, it's not it is alcohol, but it's not just alcohol. It's like you have too much freedom to be your own person, and so you just become as slovenly as humanly possible.
1: <laughs> uh, you live and learn. Maybe,
0: <laughs> hopefully. Maybe. Oh Maybe. man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's amazing. I know you had some. Uh, oh
1: yeah, I just had a couple of quick Jersey Jerseyisms: uh, pork roll or Taylor ham. What do you call it? Taylor ham. Oh, interesting. Yes, yeah, I think Taylor ham is my my go-to as well, and I'm a, a huge fan. Um, it was I was in New Jersey for at least two years before anybody clued me in, and I was I was really annoyed. So I spent the rest of
2: the time catching well, up. You can't you can't <laughs> get that you can't get that in California. You can't even get a good bagel in California. Oh that's it's true. That them yeah no, no
0: way. oh, they're still awful. <laughs> My best friend lives out in l a and has for the last thirteen years but her uh her family will overnight ship her Taylor ham to just keep frozen and work that's on love. for a few months oh yeah, that's, that's a, love. Love.
1: um do you have a preference for either Bon Jovi or Bruce Springsteen?
2: Oh, I'm a Springsteen fan big right now.
1: Right on. Um, and do you have do you have a favorite shore town? I know that you said that you didn't do a whole lot of summer family vacations, but
2: you know, when we were little, we would go to Wildwood. But I had a friend that lived in Bayhead, uh, so I'd like it by Bayhead and Seagirt. Oh, Seagirt Seagert. and uh, Asbury Park coming laugh. back. Asbury really Park's going to be really cool. So I'd like to stay down in Seagirt and then ride my bike on the boardwalk up to Asbury Park and party there, and then how
0: to ride my bike back down to sea. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, Asbury Park's I, really enjoying a
1: beautiful renaissance. It is. I was just there a couple weekends ago. It's, you know, with everything that's happening, who knows, but it seems to be kicking, so that's good. That's, that's all my Jersey-isms. Um, Jen, oh, does go-
0: Central Jersey exist?
1: Oh, yeah, that's important. That seems to be a cause of contention. Central Jersey, yes or no? Is that a thing? Uh no.
0: <laughs> and okay, so for you, Andy, where is the line between North and south?
2: Ah, oh, I don't know. when you get down to the beach you're in South Jersey. Yeah.
0: That's what I think. I think as soon as you're over the big bridge, done, yeah. yep. done. Perth Amboy, South Jersey. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> I think the line for me is
1: when people start getting snotty about being in South Jersey. <laughs>
2: then South then Jersey then is that's to be it. a snotty spot I don't know All
0: right,
1: I guess.
2: there's
0: abs- they have a lot of
1: pride about it because yeah to maybe hold on snotty's to not the thing, but like
2: they the see, closer you, know, you, you get to
1: folks like who would rather go to Philly than to New York city, then there's a little there's an attitude shift I'm just saying philly really?
2: are you ki- compared to New York City, are you kidding me? The, the, the folks I who think are right around Spilly,
0: right?
1: It's <laughs> just out of
0: spite. I really do. I think it's out of spite. And I can say it not as a South Jerseyan, but as a very West Jerseyan. I'm from, I'm from Phillipsburg. Andy, so like I get being from an area that nobody wants anything to do with. <laughs> and uh and yeah I mean I I there are there are plenty of people in the area that I'm from who would be like Philly suck at New York <laughs> it's just what? out of spite it's out of underdogging what do you to know? do what are you gonna do um
1: did you oh, oh wait, I did have one more thing. Um, oop, boop, 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 I was watching, uh, I picked this up when you were on the Adam Carolla show. Um, so the, the Johnny Knoxville movie, um, Action Point, uh, you were mentioning that that might be turning into a TV series. Is that true?
2: Um, you want me to give you the whole lowdown on the screen of Action Point? As much you as lowdown? you
0: are willing to tell sure. us, we are yeah. more than happy to hear
2: so, um, clearly there's been you know websites with uh, old, old commercials and there's guys that put little things together. But the guy that really did a great job of putting uh, a little mini documentary together on Action Park was a guy named Seth Borges. And um, he did something on Mashable um, that was about 15 minutes long. He interviewed me and a whole bunch of other stuff. He did a pretty good job. And it got a ton of hits, and it was it was when we had brought the Action Park name back, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he did a nice job there. And then, um, what actually happened next was Johnny Knoxville. I'm reading in the papers that he has decided to do a movie about Action Park, and I'm like, wow, maybe I got to write the book now. It's really what prompted me to write the book because I'm like, nice. I got to get this story out, and so. Um, and then I said to myself, I really need to talk to Johnny Knoxville because I think I could be helpful to him. And uh, lo and behold, I have a friend that is an actor. He's actually plays, played David Wallace, Steve Cottrell's boss oh, in Oh, Andy office. Buckley. Yeah, Andy Buckley's a good buddy of mine. And I call him That's up great. and I'm like, I don't know if you know, know him <laughs> or where he is, but I need to speak to Johnny Knoxville. And he says, oh, my God, our kids go to school together. I see him every day dropping my kid off. So I said, well, see if he wants to talk to me because he's making this movie about Action Park. So it wasn't after that whether I could get him on the phone. I couldn't get Johnny Knoxville off the phone <laughs> because all <laughs> he wanted sorry. to hear was old Action Park stories. He yes. kept on saying to me, do you mean to tell me you could actually just do whatever you wanted and, like, jump on people's heads? And, my God, your dad was way ahead of us, man. <laughs> yeah. He had, like, diapers when he was doing crazy stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Knoxville, it turns out when I talked to him, the script had been written um and it was really too late to have any any impact on that and The good thing is that he didn't really make a movie about Action Park at all; it was inspired by it and and actually when i talked when I went to the premiere, he invited me to the premiere he was very kind, and I met his the producer and the producer told me the way the movie got came about is he showed Knoxville that Documentary, a 15 minute documentary. Uh-huh. And he's like, You got to do something with this, Johnny. And Johnny didn't look at it at first. And finally, he like, calls me, screaming at him, You got to look at it. And Knoxer looked at it and got him excited to do it. But then he didn't reach out to us uh, because I think he had reached out to the current owners of the place who wanted to have nothing to do with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: So it was right. kind of, and I think they may really said, You know, we want, you don't use our name, nothing. <laughs> and so. He told me the lawyer said, "Don't talk to them." And I guess he glooped, grouped the Malba Hills in with the guys that had it, ah. and uh, so we didn't really get the chance. But once I got him on the phone, uh, I told him a lot. He he actually asked me where he could get some of the rides that he was going to try to build a little mini action park. Wow. He wanted a ski lift delivered to South. They filmed it in South Africa. Right. He wanted a ski lift delivered in like two months. They were going to start filming. I'm like, dude, not a, a lot of ski lifts done. in South Africa. <laughs> yeah in two months that's not easy, but they did get something up there. It didn't work, but um yeah so so Knoxville makes the movie and um and i I tried to help him however I could didn't ask him for anything. He was kind enough to invite me to the premiere, so I got to go to l a and uh Unfortunately, the movie turned out not to be a huge success uh but john Knox Johnny Knoxville is like the greatest guy he's from Knoxville he's got a different real name, I, I don't know if that I should share it'cause maybe it's a secret, but uh he, um, what I loved about him is that when he was promoting the movie, like he was on Fallon and, and uh, some other shows, they'd all ask him the same question. They goes, "Who's this guy Gene Mulvihill, Johnny, the guy that started Action Park? He must have been a real kook. And every time Knoxville would go, "No, no, 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 he was a genius, man. He was ahead of his time. He was great, and he was, he was such a, he was so good talking about my dad. It really, I loved it because he was like Johnny Knoxville." He's like the guy that started all this YouTube crazy stuff. You know, he's the precursor to the X Games and, you uh, know, uh, the slapsticks. And Johnny Natchel Johnny saw my father as an icon. Right, of course. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and
0: I have to say, um, I, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't get a read on what your father was like until he played him. And I was like, oh, no. I guess I could see that,
2: and then no, and then reading no, the parallel in your book, just like was, the joy that infused all of it. I, you know, not Knoxville didn't really play my dad in the movie. It wasn't His movie wasn't really at all about what actually happened in Action Park. The whole plot sure. is different, and I, the only similarity is he would wear in the movie he wore a like a, a, a Lacoste shirt, a golf shirt, and a, a sports jacket which my father would never do around the park. He would do if he went out to a meeting, uh, unless he had to put a suit on for bankers. But uh, it was funny that he would wear that. Other than that, I don't know that there were a lot of similarities. But here's the good news. The good news is, as I am writing this book, and it's looking pretty good, uh, we decide that we're going to shop the thing in Hollywood. So I get a Hollywood agent. I mean, you guys have Hollywood agents, right? Everybody has a Hollywood agency, right? (laughs) I get a Hollywood agent, and we take the book. Uh, It's not the final version, but it's pretty close, and we start shopping it. And it was very, very quiet. Um, But before that even, uh, I had been approached by the guys that made the 15-minute movie, and that guy, Seth Borges, wanted to make a 90-minute movie. And I said, well, what is it gonna be? It's a documentary, and what's your budget? 50 grand. I said, you know, I really would like to try to see a movie made about the book I'm going to write, because it was while I was writing the book. Let's wait. I'll team up with you after and we'll see if we can get a movie made. He says, no, 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 I want to do the documentary. I said, then go, go at it. Good luck. So he went and he made, this guy Burgess made a 90 minute documentary which he went and sold to HBO Max, and it should be on actually within the next two weeks. It's supposed to be That's on awesome. in August. And unfortunately, I'm not quite sure what the end product is gonna be because a number of my friends that got interviewed said that he really was trying to pull out some, not some, not always the nicest things about <laughs> what happened yeah. at the park. <laughs> right. um, but I don't know, maybe that was their perception. Seth assured me though, that it's a fair piece. Um, it could be a hit job, what do I know? Uh, he asked he, he continued to ask me to appear on it. And I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you let me see it? Because he had had it done, he just wanted to add me in.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: he said, ah, no, I can't show it to you. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, if you can't oh, show it to me, I don't think I could be involved in the project. So I don't know, we'll see what it is. Sure. But anyway, he made his 90 minute thing and <clears throat> we then go take the book you know, after I passed up on that, shop in Hollywood, silence for like two months, and all of a sudden we get an offer. <laughs> and then we got another offer and another offer and another yes. offer. I got 10 offers. Hey, A bidding war. <laughs> and we ended up making a deal with 20th Century Fox Television and Hulu. 20th Century Fox is a production company. Hulu is a distributor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The thing that's really cool about it is they're both Disney companies. And my father always held Disney as the gold standard when it came to operating amusement parks. So I think it's kind of neat that we're going to make a show about my father that Disney's going to do. So that's kind of fun. So they've got an option. They've got an option on the book. And uh, we'll know in like 12 months or so from now whether it's going to get made. I bet you it's going to get made. They've already talked about the producer of Modern Family to get behind it. So uh, it could be big. Hey, look, it's a great story. It is a
0: great story. And it's definitely something that I want to watch more than 90 minutes of, you know, I mean, there's, there's series in there for sure.
2: Yeah. I, and, and they're going to, they're paying me as a consultant. Um, so hopefully I can be involved and, and keep the spirit of the book in there and the whole, cause you know, it, it would be easy to make it slapstick stupid stuff, you know, a little cranky, but I think the story is so much deeper than that and more interesting than that. Cause it works on so many different le- levels that we did in the book. And I think that they saw that because, you know, there's pain, there's tragedy, you know, there's there's challenges, there's triumphs, you know, there's first loves, there's mobsters. I mean, there's a lot (laughs) in the book. And uh, it's so funny, we haven't really talked about this, but how, how can you not pay attention to people writing reviews about your book, right? Or listening to people talk about your book, or just talking to friends about your book. And they all, you know, it's like they all say the same thing. Like the best job, they say, well, first of all, don't read the book in public because you'll embarrass yourself because you'll just start laughing out oh, loud and yes. everybody be like, what's wrong with this person? <laughs> yeah, but they, they all say that they loved it and they really thought that it captured the, you know, the spirit of my father. Uh, and you know, I, I came from a family of six. It was a big responsibility to my brothers and my sister and my mom to get the story right. And uh, I can't be more happy with the way it turned out.
0: I, I think it's wonderful. And uh, I'm very excited for the life that it's got ahead of it in whatever amalgamation happens mm-hmm. once, yes. you get, once you get that involved. That um, amazing. Speaking of, of the duty that you and your siblings have after uh, af- in your father's legacy, how would you say... Especially because none of you are concocting magical, adventurous water parks currently. How would you say that his spirit shows up in the work of you and your siblings these days? Or well, if not the work, then the hobbies. Maybe there are well, some I,
2: good I think hobbies. that uh, the best lesson that he gave us, he gave us a lot of great lessons, but one of the best lessons he gave us is that if you're going to do something, don't settle for the ordinary. Don't settle for a job well done, you know, you got to go all out and you got to try to achieve greatness and whatever you're doing, whether it's in your career or a party you're going to throw or a book you're going to try to write, you got to really strive to do something special to try to show people something they've never seen before. So for me, um, as a developer and when I build things, I try to build stuff that is, hasn't been done before and that has a very unique flair. And um, I can't settle for the ordinary. Hey, I I certainly will look for ideas from, you know, around the country, around the world when I'm doing something and try to integrate some of the new stuff and copy a little bit sometimes. But really, you got to try to do something that's really spectacular that's going to blow people's minds. And to me, that's what is really gives you fulfillment and allows you to make your mark and to like inspire people and touch people's lives. I think that that's like we all kind of have that. So every one of us, I think when we, we approach something, we try to do something special.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. And do you have, um, I mean, obviously we're all sort of on pause right now, just in the, the crisis of the world that is happening, but do you have big dreams and plans for expansion for, uh, for Crystal Springs and for the properties that you own? Any, anything that you've been really excited about?
2: Yeah, we're, we actually just refinanced and we got a whole bunch of money from the banks to do some big expansions. We're going to put a new wedding venue in it uh, at uh, Grand Cascades and Crystal Springs, which is going to be cool. Doing the same thing at Minerals because the weddings are a real hot business, though not right now. Right. <laughs> um, we're, going to put, we're going to expand some of the restaurants that we have. Um, and we've got a big development, uh, a village center at Crystal Springs that we hope to do with maybe another hotel. So we got a lot of plans ahead of us, but right now we just got to survive because these are these are really really trying times for the industry that we're in, and uh, you know we've it's really created a lot of turmoil. I mean we went from having thousands of employees one day to like having a dozen the next day uh, just to survive. We've brought a lot of them back and a lot of our businesses are open, but some of them are not. Uh, it's amazing though. I tell you, the golf business is just. Booming because there are not that many things you can do to recreate. And Mm -hmm. golf is one of them, and guys have been coming out like crazy. Uh, But we're dying to get our restaurants open inside again. I mean, we have Restaurant Latour, which has been ranked the number one restaurant in the state of New Jersey year after year. We want to get that open again. Our wine cellar, which is like unbelievable, is such a great venue that people love to enjoy. Um, So, yeah, we're hoping to get the rest of that stuff open. But no, we're not stopping. We're going to keep expanding. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get our foot back into the action park uh, in the Mountain Creek property one day. You never know. <laughs> I
0: could never support anything more except maybe you taking the gingerbread castle. As well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Lillian! Do you have any um, any more questions or stories? That uh no.
1: This was tremendously satisfying.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> it's so wonderful. This has been
1: such a joy, Andy. Uh, And I just want to mention um, the entire title. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Theme Park from Penguin. Is that right? Did I get that right?
2: You did. You did. And you know what? In these COVID times, if you want an escape, pick up this book, and I promise you it will take you out of wherever you are and back to a wild time and going <laughs> way you.
0: back way back and it is it's full of laughs it's it's full of just jaw-dropping moments um <laughs> and certainly has no place in 2020 so i have found it to be one of my few happy oases mm-hmm. of the last five months <laughs> um thank you so so much for joining yes, us Andy. Yes. this has been so fun! Thank you for sharing yourself. Thank you for sharing your life with your dad. Um, I lost my dad a couple years ago too, and um, and there's something very satisfying about being able to celebrate and further his legacy and also share the reality of you know life with complicated parents is also complicated (laughs) and uh and and we know that very very well yeah i'm
2: sure you do (laughs) so So i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say goodbye now but i'm gonna give you guys an idea and i'm gonna suggest that when you have finished interviewing your clients you ask them to do the following which is to say fucking jersey baby (gasps)